the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The John Steigerwald Show, sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Portions of today's program may be pre-recorded. His dream is to die in his own arms. That's what my dad used to say about people who he thought were a little bit too full of themselves. I think he would have said that about Dr. Fauci if he had been around to see him. The people over at Free Beacon did everybody a favor, and they watched uh, a two-hour PBS documentary on Fauci and highlighted several lowlights. Now, can you imagine sitting down to watch a two-hour documentary on Dr. Anthony Fauci as though you didn't get enough of him for three years? They had a camera crew follow this guy for 23 months. There are shots of him in his home, including him crying while he's watching Joe Biden's inauguration. Now, remember, he's alone in a room, and he's crying for the camera. Uh, There are also shots of him in his home office sitting in front of lots of Fauci memorabilia, including bobbleheads. That's right, Dr. Fauci bobbleheads on the shelf. After having seen him him in operation for three years and knowing what we know now, it's really kind of disturbing. Uh, This guy was looked upon as... Uh, the, the person who was going to save the world from massive death. And he agreed to have a camera crew follow him around. Now, looking back on it, would you have preferred a guy who told PBS to get out of his face when they approached him with the idea? You know, how about a really uh, camera-shy guy who had no time for the TV stuff because he was too busy saving lives? You know, he says to PBS, hey, Get away from me with that stuff. I'm I'm working over it. I don't want to hear about your documentary. It's become pretty obvious that this guy fell in love with his celebrity. So have you seen the video of him and Dr. Burks when they announced the first lockdowns? It was live TV, and they were beaming. And by the way, Dr. Burks is another one. Looking back on those scarves that she became famous for, do you think she went out and bought a closet full of them after they became her trademark? so that she'd never wear the same one twice? Do you think she really got into the idea of people noticing them? Sorry, but I'm guessing she did. She also appeared to fall in love with her celebrity. Of course, we're finding out now that they were wrong about just about everything and should have been fired by President Trump. So just remember, don't fail to miss Dr. Fauci's documentary on PBS. When we come back, we'll have our media ethics expert, Jeff McCall, here to talk about the media coverage of the shooting in Tennessee yesterday. And in our second half hour, it looks like the Europeans might be backing off of that uh, electric car idea. Stick around. If you're a business owner, imagine getting up to $26,000 per employee. There's still time for business owners to file for the Employee Retention Tax Credit Program. This program is for business owners who continue to pay their W-2 employees during the COVID pandemic. Many businesses qualify and simply do not know it. All business types and industries may qualify. You can claim the credit even if you received a PPP loan. This is a cash payment and not a loan and can be claimed now. The licensed CPAs and tax professionals at DH Tax and Consult have been serving business owners across the country for over 15 years. The best part is that until you receive your cash payment, you don't pay us a dime. Our tax credit specialists are available now at 833-ERC-FILE. And your tax payment estimate is quick, easy, and free. That's 833-ERC-FILE to qualify you and your business for up to $26,000 per W-2 employee for free federal aid. Call us now at 833-ERC-FILE. That's 833-ERC-FILE. 
Now. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with My Pillow is launching My Pillow 2.0. When Mike invented My Pillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The My Pillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original My Pillow and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature regulating thread. The My Pillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For my exclusive listeners, the My Pillow 2.0 is buy one get one free with promo code STAG. My Pillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money back guarantee. Just go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listener square to get the buy one get one free offer. Just when you thought My Pillow couldn't get any better, My Pillow 2.0 gives you the best pillow ever. Enter promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087 to get your MyPillow 2.0s now. The word is out. People are abandoning their overpriced wireless carriers and flocking to Pure Talk for the same 5G coverage, but at a fraction of the price. In fact, the average family saves over $800 a year when switching from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. And switching is so easy. You can keep your phone, keep your number, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Right now, you can get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month. Or if you still want unlimited data... You can get that and still save a fortune. So make the switch and get the same coverage as the big guys, but at half the price. Go to puretalk.com, type in your address to find the coverage at your home, then enter promo code half off, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code half off. Switch to Pure Talk and get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month because Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. My son Finn was born with congenital heart disease. He ended up spending about the first eight months of his life in the hospital. During that time, he endured 10 surgeries, including an open heart surgery. Starlight Children's Foundation has played an important role in my family's life. For five weeks when he was a baby, Finn lived in a Starlight Hero wagon. You could not understand the pure joy of having him go from a hospital bed into his favorite red wagon. Starlight doesn't just give items that hospitalized kids can use to keep themselves happy, but also memories, moments, and experiences which are so needed in times like these. They allow sick kids to just be kids for a little while. The support that Starlight provides to families like mine is an integral part to creating happiness at a time when there's very little to be found. Learn more about how Starlight Children's Foundation brightens the lives of sick kids by visiting starlight.org today. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, there are a few things worse than a school shooting, and there are a few things easier to predict than the reaction from liberal politicians and the media after one. We're seeing it now after the shooting yesterday in Tennessee. Jeffrey McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University. He's a media critic for The Hill, and he's a regular guest on this show, and he joins us now. Jeff, thanks for coming back. Great to be with you, John. So um, any surprises for you in the media coverage so far? No. As you said, this was uh, easy uh, to predict. Uh, and, in fact, as soon as I heard about the, the, the tragedy yesterday, uh, you know, I could have almost predicted you know, the sources from which the uh, excuse-making would come and the demonization would come. And it, and it came, you know, predictably from uh, the White House and uh, left-wing politicians uh, and uh, people who would, I, I think, be easily to pick out as left-leaning in the media as well, from the Washington Post to ABC to various places. And it's really sad to think that in the midst of a tragedy like this, that you've got people who would exploit that tragedy for their selfish uh, and petty political reasons. Uh, and it, but, but again, it's, it's not surprising at all because it happens all the time. And I just wish we could get away from this kind of nonsensical bashing of each other when you have these things happen. And, you know, one of the things I think is weird is, you know, I, I think as a society, again, most rational people look at these kinds of events, these tragedies, as evil. And they label it as evil. And they label it as evil regardless of who the perpetrator is. And the, in the relativism of today, which is being practiced you know, by the left-wing media, or, or as we call it, the establishment media, 
um, that relativism is damaging because they don't look at a school shooting as perpetrated by an evil person. They make a decision on how to cover it based on the perpetrator's sex or race or age or some demographic category. And I don't think we should be defining how we cover an event like this based on who's doing the shooting, because anybody who's going to go in and shoot up a school is evil, and it deserves to be covered as such, rather than to overlook uh, you know, certain aspects of a person. And, and keep in mind, we had a school shooting earlier this month in Denver, and you know, it, it turns out there wasn't you know, as much tragedy as we saw yesterday in Tennessee, but there could have been. But think of how muted that coverage was about the school shooting in Denver, because it turns out it was an African-American assailant. And I think that you know, we should not be making decisions for holding back coverage based on the identity of these people. Well, and I just think, yeah, and, I, and I, one other thing. There is a time and a place to discuss you know, what should be done with guns. Mm-hmm. whether we want to regulate them, how much we want to regulate them, how much they're a factor in today's society, and all that sort of thing. I mean, I, I understand that, okay? Um, basically, I'm a supporter of Second Amendment protections and the right to self-defense, but I'm not saying you shouldn't have that debate. Mm-hmm. But my, my sense, though, is we should not only have that debate when people think they can use the emotion of tragedy to try to make their political points, because that's exploiting the deaths of these poor people in Tennessee who lost their lives uh, in, a, in a callous display. And that's what we saw from Corrine Jean-Pierre yesterday at, on the podium at the White House press room. And we even saw it from the president, who was calling for an assault weapons ban. And here's the thing. The, the assailant in yesterday's situation, the perpetrator, okay, mm-hmm. the evil person, let's just say they had not had an assault weapon, Okay. Do you think that they might have still wanted to cause harm to the people in that school? And I would say yes. And and keep in mind that we've had terrorists kill people with vehicles. We've had terrorists, you know, kill people with planes. We've had terrorists kill people with bombs. Timothy McVeigh had no guns. (laughs) People need to keep that in mind. And so I just think if you want to have a discussion about what to do, with gun violence in the United States, let's have it, but let's not exploit tragedies every time we get an opportunity to try to make shallow points. And also, it almost guarantees that people aren't going to take you seriously anyway because they know you're doing that for rhetorical exploitation. Yeah, and it's, there's probably less chance of, of having a rational, productive discussion about the whole thing, about guns and mental illness and why it happened and everything else that goes into it the day after or the day of it happening, that's just, that, that's just not the good time to talk about it from a personal standpoint, but from a media you know, standpoint of doing in-depth analysis. You, you, you just, how about just reporting the story for the first eight hours of the, you know, of, the, of the event rather than within 15 minutes starting to throw out things about you know, uh, 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 Second Amendment issues and... It just got ridiculous yesterday immediately. Terry Moran of ABC uh, made sure to mention that the Republican legislature in Tennessee passed a law making it illegal to perform transgender transgender surgery on minors. That was during his report uh, on the shooting. Is that the time to do that? No, I don't think so. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, Terry Moran's reporting had caught my attention as well. You know, to try to connect this shooting to recent legislation, which is designed to protect minors, actually, from genital, genital mutilation and drag shows. I mean, there's a reason that the Tennessee legislature stepped in to try to pass this legislation. And if somebody, you know, the, the assailant takes this in the wrong way or has a mental deficiency and looks at the legislation passed in the Tennessee legislature and goes off and starts shooting somebody... You know, that shows that this person has problems, not that necessarily that the legislation is off base. And again, there's, there's a place to discuss this kind of legislation. And in Indiana, they're discussing a similar piece of legislation as well. But I would like to think that whatever the Indiana legislature does, it's not going to be a pass then for anybody to go out and start shooting up schools, no matter how they feel about the way the legislation comes down. And for Terry Moran, you know, who, who's who's a long-serving member of the ABC reporting crew. I mean, he's a veteran reporter. 
And so it's not like he's an inexperienced cub who went out there and just got caught up on the moment and made a mistake. This was a calculated decision by him to kind of step into this mess and to try to make an editorial comment about the Tennessee legislature trying to protect minors from sex change operations and to try to make hay out of that. And I, again, I'm not sure that's the right place or time. I, actually, I don't think it is. Uh, and, and Terry Moran, I think, should know better. Yeah, and, and it's not... You, know, you mentioned you called it an editorial comment, which it is, or was, but it's it's disguised as reporting because it's irrelevant at the time yeah. that he's doing that report. That to say that you know there was a law passed here six weeks ago that uh, you know whatever it was about uh, transgender surgery, it's it's editorializing to include it. It's not it's not relevant, and he's a good enough reporter and been around long enough to know that. There's absolutely no need to mention that. And it gets back to what we've talked about before, that audiences today in the United States do not like to have straight news reporting mixed with commentary and opinion. And that's a major reason that credibility in the media is in steep decline, and audiences say that in the, in the polling that is done by the Knight Foundation and Gallup and those kinds of places. They say, why are you losing trust in the media? And the people will say it's because they can't help themselves from blending opinion with actual factual reporting. And, you know, one of the, one of the writers for the Washington Post made a point to say that Tennessee was an intolerant state. I mean, th- that, that was his conclusion to the result of this tragedy. And I'm thinking, well, he's trying to connect the legislation from the Tennessee legislature as well, you know, dealing with transgender students and whatnot. But to label an entire state as intolerant, I mean, as a nation, we've worked very hard for decades to try to keep from stereotyping and labeling people, you know, based on where they live or their demographic. And here's a writer for the Washington Post doing exactly that. And probably, and his name is Mike Wise, by the way, Mm -hmm. and probably he's going to be celebrated and given some award for doing that. Yep, and there were others who actually tried to tie the shooting to the fact that the conservative website uh, the Daily Wire has its headquarters in Nashville. So, again, you know, when did reporters start looking for which media outlet is in the town where a crime is committed? It's- yeah, and think about that. How, how many people know that the Daily Wire is located in Nashville? My guess is your average person walking up and down the street would have no idea. Zero. And, and, if, and in fact, if you were to say, where is any media outlet located, most people would assume New York, Washington, something like that. And nobody's going to pick out Nashville as the site of a media outlet. So, I mean, I would be shocked if, if the woman who, who uh, conducted this shooting had any idea of where that outlet was located. For somebody to throw that out there is just irresponsible and harebrained. Here's the headline from a column by a guy named Hayes Brown of MSNBC. And he, made, he didn't write the headline necessarily, probably didn't. But this is, it's... it's um, the, the headline is reflective of what his piece was about. The headline was, Six are dead in Nashville. Let's revisit how much the Tennessee GOP loves guns. That, that's <laughs> what, that was the headline. Wow. They, and they, by the way, they got rid of that. It was up on their website, and I guess enough people didn't like it that they, they took it down. There's a different headline now. Well, as well they should, but mm-hmm. in reflecting on that original headline, here's what I would say. Whoever wrote it, uh, whoever wrote it, is surely reflecting on the content of the piece, for one thing. So the writer, the author, shares some responsibility. But the other thing is, within the culture of MSNBC, whoever wrote that believes it's okay to put that kind of inflammatory headline on their website. Mm -hmm. And so the, the culture is such that they're sitting there at their desk, I need to type a headline for this story, what could I put on there? And they know that it's accepted practice within MSNBC to do that kind of gaslighting, that irresponsible gaslighting, and probably in most cases, nobody would say anything. They probably got some blowback, and somebody probably said, we'll take it down. But the fact that they thought they could do that with a straight face or, or in a righteous, you know, presumptuous way tells us a lot about what the culture is inside that news organization. Uh, I, I want to make sure I get this in, and we, we have uh, uh, some time left. Maybe we'll get back to this in a second, but I want to make sure I get this in because I, re- I wasn't really planning to talk to you about this, but uh, I saw it after I spoke to you or sent, sent you the email to get you to come on today. Um, this story about Matt Taibbi, have you seen this? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so this guy is, is testifying 
in um, he's a media guy. So just so people, in case people don't know who he is, he's a he's a blogger and a he's a big time guy, uh, and he was involved in the Twitter files and everything. Matt Taibbi is testifying in front of Congress. I guess it was about the Twitter files, the stuff that he found out. Right. And the IRS paid a visit to his home on the day that either he was in the process of testifying or when he was getting ready to testify. I'm not sure which. That is about as scary as it gets, isn't it? And that, this is well, a, that's a media. This is a oh, media guy. And, and you know what's scarier yet is that story will not be covered on CNN or MSNBC no or the New York Times or whatever. They'll just say, "Well, that Matt, Matt Taibbi, uh, he's he's a nut." Uh, he's exposing the Twitter file stuff. We're not going to give it any attention, and we're not going to do a story on the government targeting a journalist, which is about as far contrary to civil liberties in the United States as you could get. And also keep in mind, Matt Taibbi uh, is a responsible journalist, but he's not a right-wing kook. Liberal. I mean, if anything, over the years, you would say that he's come more from a liberal side of yep. things. Mm-hmm. And so the government's going yep. after him, and it's not because he's right or left necessarily it's because he's exposing information they don't want and i'm not surprised that this is happening out of the biden administration because you might remember during the obama era uh... the white house targeted uh... journalists as well they had the irs going through the books of the people who are trying to run tea party organizations and they had uh... you know the fbi spying on journalists james uh, rosen who was on the show yesterday yeah yeah james rosen is one of them uh, but he wasn't the only one. But mm-hmm. during the Obama administration, they kind of created the playbook, and Biden's uh, operation still has it in place. And it's really despicable. And the sad thing is, as I mentioned, most mainstream journalists are not going to cover this or stand up for this and say, hey, this needs to stop. Because, number one, they probably think it's okay to have Taibbi having his IRS audits happening. And, his, mm-hmm. and, and they actually went on to his property, if I remember right. Oh, yeah, they, were um, his, they, were, they played yeah. a visit at his house. But they probably think that's okay. But here's the thing, for, for any of the reporters who are not going to cover this or going to nod or look the other way and think this is okay, keep in mind, if the IRS can do that to this guy, they could do it to you, too, if you ever write something that the Biden administration mm-hmm. or uh, Merrick Garland or the FBI director doesn't like. Well, this is another subject, but to me, uh, I've, I've always uh, felt that there should never have been an income tax, at least a federal income tax, and this is the greatest example ever of why the founders didn't want a federal income tax, because this is what it could be used for, to shut people yeah, you- up, to, to, uh, to punish people for their, for, opin- of their, for their opinions, and we see it right there, and as you said, the rest of the media aren't even going to cover it. Yeah, and when you weaponize government against the people who are supposed to be watchdogging the government, you've really disrupted the whole constitutional framework that uh, led to the First Amendment, and uh, and I'm sure that James Madison is crying somewhere. Yeah. Well, I have about a minute and a half left. I wanted to ask you, too. Uh, I came across this. I mentioned in the opening of my show uh, the uh, the. PBS followed Dr. Fauci around with a camera for 22 months, 23 months. Yeah. They have a two-hour documentary coming out on him. How balanced would you expect that to be? Not at all. Uh, You know, that they would do it at all shows that they're going to fawn all over him, that this is going to be fawning coverage. And I must say, too, that Dr. Fauci would allow this kind of film uh, to happen, that that he would allow film crews to follow him, shows that he's pretty self-absorbed which demonstrates at a certain point that every decision he's made over the last two years has been done with an eye on the optics and the PR value of what's going on. And when the nation has such an uh, insane obsession with celebrity, and, and, and here's Fauci, a research doctor and career nerd who's on late-night television and getting bobbleheads made about him, uh, and he's wallowed in all of that. Yeah. And I must say, I don't think he can think straight and make rational decisions if he's always looking for a PR angle or for celebrity boost, and and that that's very sad. Well, that's what I that's what I said in my open, uh, Jeff. Exactly, my the opening line. Uh, I said his dream is to die in his own arms, uh, and that was talking <laughs> about Fauci. That Fauci. That was uh, what my dad used to say about people who he thought were a little bit too full of themselves. And and I, what I said was, and I'm out of time. But what I said was. Uh, this if this guy is serious, he's, he's trying to save the world from mass death. Um, he says to PBS, "Hey, 
leave me alone. I got work to do. I don't want to get yeah. your camera out of here. He loved Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yep. Hey, Jeff, I'm out of time, but I love having you on. We'll do it again soon, I'm sure. I'll look forward to it. Thanks for everything. Okay, thank you. That's Jeff McCall from DePaul University. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Florida Senator Rick Scott is calling for an automatic death penalty for school shooters. On Twitter, Senator Scott writes, the prospect of life in prison is not enough for those he called the deranged monsters who go into our schools to kill innocent kids and educators. And, quote, we need to consider an automatic death penalty for school shooters. Scott's comments come after the shooting deaths of three children and three adults at a Nashville elementary school by a shooter police say was a former student. The shooter identified as a 28-year-old transgender woman living as a man. Bob Agnew, Capitol Hill. A federal district court judge upheld the approval of a $2.4 billion bankruptcy reorganization plan aimed at resolving tens of thousands of child sexual abuse claims against the Boy Scouts of America. That plan would allow the Irving, Texas-based Boy Scouts of America to continue operating. This is SRN News. People ask me sometimes, Lance, I'm worried about my finances and I feel bad because I shouldn't be worried, right? I realize that inflation is going to be eating up money. I've got to do something to get around this crazy stock market and Biden's spending spree. Gold has, since the beginning of time, been the resource that God's people have relied on. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, is what the prophet Haggai said during a time of great shaking. To protect your retirement, I recommend that you diversify your 401k or IRA right out of paper assets and into physical gold. And the best way to do that is with Gold IRA from the Birch Gold Group. I want you to text the words FAITH, F-A-I-T-H, to 989898 and get a free info kit on Gold IRAs. There's no strings attached to this, so just text FAITH, F-A-I-T-H, to 989898 and see what I've discovered here about gold and its ability to stabilize your investment and create a storage of wealth for you in unsteady times. AM 1250, The Answer. Brandon Tatum, breaking news and what to make of it. On the next Officer Tatum show, we need to have a productive conversation on protecting these kids in schools. Banning AR-15s isn't the answer. Why can't we put police officers at the door of these schools? How is this so difficult? And we're putting our babies in harm's way, but yet we're crying about AR-15s. Let's talk about it more on the next Officer Tatum show. The Officer Tatum show, tonight at 7, right before Charlie Kirk at 9 on AM 1250. The answer. Hey, John Steigerwald here for Johnny and Jesse Samick, my friends over at Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. When disaster strikes your home or business, demand the yellow van. Fire, water, or mold, Service Master's technicians are trained and equipped to get you back to normal fast. Even when dealing with insurance, you have a choice who repairs and cleans up the mess. Make sure you demand the yellow van. Call Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Service Master. Spring cleaning is upon us, but there's one meaningful box that you don't throw away when cleaning out your closet. It's the box filled with your family's important videotapes, film reels, and photos. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako. We started Legacy Box over a decade ago to help families organize and update their analog media to digital. Legacy Box is simple and easy. It works and is safe. Over a million families have trusted Legacy Box. And Legacy Box has been featured in Good Housekeeping, The Today Show, and Rachel Ray. Legacy Box is like magic, converting your shoebox of memories to the cloud or thumb drive, ready to watch and share. Declutter your closet by digitizing your media. Become more organized and accomplished, knowing your family's recorded past is safe forever. Take advantage of our spring cleaning sale going on now. It's the easiest task to check off your to-do list. For a limited time, you can get started for just $9 a tape. Visit LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to get our $9 sale. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to get our $9 offer. LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. W223CS Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the answer mobile app. Smart speakers. Tune in iHeart or Odyssey. AM 1250. The answer. Weather. 
Partly cloudy skies expected for tonight. We'll see a nighttime low of 28. Mostly cloudy skies tomorrow. It will be breezy in the afternoon with a couple of late night showers. The high 53. Tomorrow night, cold, breezy with showers of rain and snow. Then a flurry. A burst of heavier snow can reduce visibility and cause slick spots. The low 23. Mostly sunny Thursday with a high of 47. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250, The Answer. So, have you bought an electric car yet? Chances are pretty good that you haven't, uh, despite all the ads you see. 99% of the cars bought last year were not electric. But uh, still, in some places, like California in 2035, you won't be able to buy a new car unless it is electric. And that's the plan in Europe, too. But some countries over there seem to be starting to rethink that. H. Sterling Burnett is the director of the Center on Climate and Environmental Policy at the Heartland Institute, and he joins us now. Sterling, haven't talked for a while. Good to have you back. Yes, good to be back on. Thanks. So, um, uh, do you want to? Uh, what, what do you think got into them over there at the European Union? Don't they care about our planet anymore? <laughs> well, let's be clear. Uh, it actually is less of a concession than it sounds like. The environmental alarmists are making a big deal out of it. But a couple of countries, primarily Germany, uh, because they've got a large auto industry, uh, I think to a lesser extent France, um, Britain not being in the EU anymore, um, they are fighting the mandate to go all electric. They said this, you know, they recognize that, uh, you know, BMW is just going to move its operations and then, uh, you know, maybe uh, a Fiat and in France, uh, I guess they're still making Peugeots or or, uh, uh, you know, whatever cars they make in France. Uh, Renault, maybe. And, uh, yeah, Renault yeah. and, and, uh, and uh, you know, Mercedes and Audi and Volkswagen. They can move their factories somewhere else. <laughs> they can still sell cars in, in Latin America, and China would eat them up, yeah. especially if they built a factory there, right? So they said, no, 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 we can't, we can't do this. So the concession is they have to use they, – they, they're allowed to use – E-fuels. Yeah, what are they? Well, what's an e-fuel? What's an e-fuel? Well, an e-fuel is uh, a, a fuel. It's, it's, it's not electricity. It's a fuel, but it's produced using carbon dioxide. So basically, <laughs> you're taking carbon dioxide out of something like, let's say, natural gas, and you're turning it into a fuel, uh, which then is supposedly carbon neutral because... Well, you remove carbon dioxide to make the fuel. So basically, they're complicating um, the internal combustion, uh, the, the drive of the internal combustion engine. They're making it, they're basically still going to use liquid fuel, so you can have an internal combustion engine. But the fuel itself must go through a more complicated, more expensive procedure to be produced because it's not coming straight from oil. Well, is that, so is, uh, how do you, that sounds like a complicated process that not too many people yes, want to be bothered with. Well, it's not only a complicated process, it's one that isn't commercially viable right now. So, you know, well, who basically cares about they're that? banking. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're basically banking a lot on being able to produce sufficient e-fuel to power uh, large numbers of cars produced by German producers. I don't think they'll get there, just like we still haven't, we're still not producing all that ethanol from switchgrass that was promised back under uh, the second bush. Uh, I don't think you'll get these e-fuels. So my suspicion is by the time this mandate comes into force, uh, if uh, BMW and Mercedes and Audi and Volkswagen inform the federal government that they've uh, already set up their factories elsewhere, this mandate, uh, you know, they've got the rental agreements, and this mandate will go by the wayside. But right now, it's it's being portrayed as this huge concession. And the truth is, it, it's not much of a concession. They don't have to be electric. They just have to use a fuel that's not existing yet. Yeah, and, and that seems to be uh, uh, almost more optimistic than the whole 2035 idea in the first place. Yeah, I think so as well. I agree. It's, yeah. it's, I think it's going to be a much easier to uh, produce a lot of electric vehicles than it is to uh, create a whole new fuel source uh, using CO2. So if you use the, the, the what's it called, the EIA, um E-fuel. Yeah, e-fuel. If you, if you use that, if they decide to start using that or somebody comes up with a way to use it, does, do, do they have to make 
engines differently. Uh, you can't you can't produce the well, same. I, kind, it, huh? Look, I, I'm not I'm not an engineer, so I'm not clear on that. Yeah. It may it may it may just be you know you'd have to use engines a little bit differently if you burned kerosene, uh, but but they still would be internal combustion engines. I don't know what the e fuel actually looks like or you know how it functions when it's produced because right like I said. It's not being produced. I mean, you know, it's 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 this theoretical thing. Like, well, we could have fuel cells sometime in the future yeah. where everyone just pours gasoline and and it goes through this and it separates hydrogen and you yeah. know and, and and you've got this fuel, but it doesn't exist now. Uh, it was a sop to Germany, who was going to scuttle the whole uh, arrangement. Uh, but you know, if I'm if I'm one of these you know big four automakers over there in Germany or. You know, a couple in Italy or in France, I might just be saying, "Look, this is too much of a hassle. I, I'll find uh, more fertile grounds elsewhere." Avidazine. Not to mention that there's no proof that it's going to do any good, if no matter what they do, if they just let well, yeah, it alone. No, there's, it's, it's, yeah, there's no evidence you're going to be able to control the weather a hundred years from now right. by making everybody go electric or use e-fuels as an alternative. Oh, uh, boy. So they're starting to wonder where they're going to get the electricity to run all those electric cars uh, 25 years from now, right? Yeah, because they don't have sufficient electricity now. I mean, it, honestly, it's it's amazing to me that they even consider keeping the E, you know, the electric car mandate in the first place because the factories are already closing with some regularity due to energy shortages. Uh, uh, you know, they're they're going more and more to wind and then for three months at a time, the wind doesn't blow offshore where they've got these huge turbines, and uh, they're having to turn the coal coal uh, power plants back on. So uh, it's unclear to me where they're going to get the electricity for the electric vehicles they say they want to use. But uh, if it's from coal, <laughs> well, th- then you're just shifting your emissions from one uh, from the tailpipe to the fact you know to, to the power plant. Yeah. Well, I, I saw somewhere just the other day that Ford is going to lose uh, billions uh, on, on their electric vehicles. They've, they've yeah, already well, lost. You know, if, if you build an electric truck that can't tow uh, boats and, uh, you know, you got you know most trucks are probably 1,500-pounders, uh, mm-hmm. the Ford 1,500 or the Dodge 1,500. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty, you know, the most common one. If you can't tow 1,500 very long, and you're not going to succeed as a truck. Well, um, as I said when I was introducing you here, and I just looked it up again today to make sure this was right, 99% of the cars bought last year were not electric. 99%. That's a, I, think yeah, that, I think yeah. that means it's not exactly catching on yet. Well, ask yourself this. What was the most popular vehicle and has been the most popular vehicle sold the United States for probably twenty years running now. The SUV, the Ford, the Ford F one fifty pickup truck. No, oh, really. Yeah, not a single fuel efficient vehicle cracks the top ten in sales. No, I love that. That's great. Well, um, uh, and I guess the question is, why hasn't somebody invented a battery yet that requires less electricity to charge it and it runs longer? How, well, how far away from uh, that are, are we right now? Well, they're 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 trying to create new battery technologies all the time. It's not just uh, sustaining the charge and not blowing up, not not, not catching fire when, yeah. when you're sitting around or charging. Right, that's another small uh, drawback. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, it's also uh, you know reducing the cost, reducing the weight, uh, and reducing the waste when it's over. You know, there's stories out recently where electric vehicles, they get into a small, you're driving off the parking lot, you've just bought your vehicle, you drive out of the uh, the, the um, shop where you bought it, and you get hit on your way home, and you ding your battery pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, insurance companies are totaling the car. Why? Brand new cars. Because the batteries are so expensive? Because the batteries are so expensive to replace. And so you've got these huge battery packs piling up in waste facilities because they can't be recycled effectively or efficiently. So the batteries, uh, I, I never really thought about that. So when an electric car gets in an accident, um, yep. 
it's uh, there's not much to the car other than the body and the battery. There's it's uh, yeah, and um, it, 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 it's 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 very likely that your battery is going to be damaged if you get in not a major accident. Not just a major, not a major accident. Look, you go over a road hazard, right? There's a piece of concrete in the road, or there's a big bump, and it and the battery pack is compromised from below. So there's no apparent damage to your to your automotive body, right? But the battery pack below has been damaged. Well, you've got a hazard there, and if you take it in, they're just as likely to write the dead gum thing off. My mother, uh, you know, I, I, I counseled her against this, but she loved. She had a hybrid vehicle, mm-hmm. and she and she to be fair, she used it for many years. It works, but you know, it came time to just like it was with a gas car, right? It's time to replace in a gas car. It'd be time to replace the engine or the transmission. You know, you've, you've serviced it, you've serviced it, but now it's time to replace it. So she took it in to replace the battery pack. Well, we don't do that. You have to take it to uh, the dealer. And she took it to the dealer, and it was going to cost more to replace the battery pack than the car was worth. Yeah, nobody, you don't hear that mentioned a lot when they're, when they're selling those things. Um, yep. And so um, they're outlawing coal over there in Europe, too, which would mean the cars are going to have to be eventually powered, as you said, by windmills that don't blow for, uh, for by that in a place where wind doesn't blow all that much. Well, you know, they're trying to get rid of coal, but like I say, that it, for, for coal, it's, it's two steps backward, one steps forward because Germany, you know, Germany largely coals its coal plants. Just this past year, they reopened two of them. They're reopening a third and they're actually clearing a small town to open a coal mine. You don't do that if you think you're going to stop using coal anytime soon. Right. You're, you're taking a town that's been around for hundreds of years, and you're stopping a wind facility that was going to go in there, and instead you're clearing the ground to, to, to coal mining. So my suspicion is coal will not uh, be as prominent. I mean, it's already not as prominent as it used to be there, mm-hmm. but I suspect that it's it will still be around for quite a while. China still a lot of likes Eastern it. European countries. A lot of Eastern European countries still have coal, and unless Western Europe uh, through the European Union is going to pony up a lot, a lot of money suddenly to replace all those plants, uh, I don't see them going away. And you'd think, with everything that's going on over there in uh, Eastern Europe right now, that countries would be. <laughs> saying, look, I don't know what it is we're going to have to do, but whatever we have a lot of here in our country, we're going to use yeah. that because we don't, I don't want to depend on anybody. If it's coal that we have here, we're, we're digging some coal mines. If it's oil, we're yeah. drilling for some oil. But whatever we have, let's get, all, let, let's get it all out of the ground or wherever, out of the river, wherever we can find it. Yeah, let's, 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 let's supply as much domestic energy as possible to not be held hostage by hostile foreign regimes. Yeah. I wish the United States would take that admonishment. We did for uh, under, a while there, yeah. President, yeah, under President uh, Trump, we mm-hmm. did, uh, and Biden's all reversed that. And now we're going to be more and more dependent on China and, you know, shockingly enough, probably soon Afghanistan for our, our uh, so-called clean energy. Uh, it will, certainly won't be clean hands because uh, we know what they do over there because mm-hmm. Afghanistan has a lot of, rare earth minerals, and China's already signed the contract to mine them. Yeah, well, that's nice. We're talking to Sterling Burnett. He's director of the Center on Climate and Environmental Policy at the Heartland Institute. So um, so what, what are the chances that the same thing happens uh, in states that have decided no more gas-powered cars after 2035? What, what are the chances that the same thing that's happening in Europe is going to happen to places like California and uh, Oregon? Well, we don't have to guess. We've already seen it. Every summer, California has power shortages. Last summer, the power shortages were so bad, Gavin Newsom issued emergency orders to allow uh, fossil fuel plants and diesel generators to keep operating uh, and and directed people not to charge their electric vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> so it's already happened. This, this isn't some future no. uh, dysutopian. This is this is here for places like that, and it's only going to get worse. But to be fair, by the time 2035 rolls around, they may have lost so much population to high cost, high regulations, high housing prices, and limited energy that uh, maybe they can power what's left. Maybe on, they can power on, you know, it with the poop. Moonbeams and unicorn farts. Maybe they can power it with the poop on the streets in all the cities over there. They could uh, they could probably get some energy out of that. 
Um, oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Get, get your methane capture going. <laughs> so um, there's a story up at townhall.com about uh, Kamala Harris. She made a trip. She's making a trip to several countries in Africa, but for some reason, the Congo isn't on the itinerary. Isn't that strange? Yeah, especially since the Congo is more critical to our uh, green energy future than any of those other countries, than all those other countries existing combined. Uh, gee, what could be going on there? Well, the fact that uh, most of the uh, the uh, cobalt produced by the Congo, it's the largest producer of cobalt in the world, uh, that are used in all these uh, batteries and green energy technologies, uh, they're mined using child labor. 40,000 <laughs> 40, yeah, slaves, mine. slave labor. Yeah. In mines where, where kids are dying daily, have lung diseases, aren't going to school, uh, it's awful. I, I advocate your listeners, you go up online and just type in Congo, uh, you know, Congo, cobalt, child labor, and look at the images. Don't look mm-hmm. at stories. Yeah. Just look at image after image after image of these appalling conditions and these small children being forced into those mines, all to satisfy Kamala Harris's and Joe Biden's green energy uh, dreams, and ironically enough, they are they are children of color, which is yes. which is then yeah. uh, uh, they're not and they're not being um, they're not being called out on it. The the liberals yeah. are not. It's it's, a, it's I have, stunning. I, I have a I have a feeling the Congo mines aren't meeting their diversity goals. <laughs> no, no, and uh, so how much longer can the media though get away with not reporting on the connection? between electric cars and slave labor in Africa? Because there's a direct connection. Yeah, no, look, uh, to be fair, the media is reporting on it, but it's it's haphazard. Yeah. Rather than hammering it every day, no, but it's it, happening under a Republican administration. That's right. You right. find a story here, you find a story a week later there, you find a story a, a month later somewhere else, they have a couple of photos, and then it goes away. Yeah, and you, the next bill comes, the congr- the next uh, um, Inflation Reduction Act, what a laugh that is, uh, comes along, and they forget all about it until, you know, a, a year later when, like I said, one more story trickles out. And we all, we all shake our heads and go, oh, that's awful. And then we go about our business of uh, checking our new electric car. And see, the thing is, it is a, it's a terrible uh, story, but it's a great story if you're a media company. It's a tremendously emotional uh, story that that would connect with everybody, and there, as you said, you're going to see it's out there, but it's not it's not being hammered the way it would be if it were. Uh, well, remember, there was a time there was a time when mainstream media outlets were always decrying human rights violations. Right, they wanted us to hold China accountable for human rights violations. They wanted us to hold uh, rogue regimes, which meant basically regimes they didn't like as opposed to the regimes that they like because they're doing the kinds of things they like, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, South Africa, we got to call them out, but not the Congo. Yeah, uh, a little bit too inconvenient. You know, so they, they used to care about human rights. Now human rights are, are taking a back seat to, uh, to sort of climate uh, uh, authoritarianism. Insanity. Hey, uh, hey um, I'm out of time, Sterling. Always good to have you on, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. I appreciate it and look forward to being on again. Take care. Okay, thank you. That's Sterling Burnett of Heartland Institute. We'll be right back. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For my exclusive listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one, get one free with promo code STAG. MyPillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square to get the buy one, get one free offer. Just when you thought MyPillow couldn't get any better, MyPillow 2.0 gives you the best pillow ever. Enter promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087 to get your MyPillow 2.0s now. 
Hi, I'm Olivia, and I'm 11. Some people my age might think water in a basement's pretty cool. Who wouldn't want an indoor swimming pool? But my dad taught me a thing or two about homes. You mean all those times I talked about waterproofing. You were actually listening? Absolutely. I'm like Alexa. Okay, so how does Jandy Waterproofing protect your home? By keeping water out of the basement so it doesn't compromise the structure of your home. And? By not giving yucky mold and mildew a place to grow. Pretty good. Dad, I wasn't finished. Oh, sorry. And J&D Waterproofing can save you money. Do tell. By saving you from having to replace your basement appliances from water damage. I couldn't have said it better myself. Got water problems? Don't cry. Call 1-800-VERY-DRY. J&D Waterproofing. 1-800-VERY-DRY. My son Finn was born with congenital heart disease. He ended up spending about the first eight months of his life in the hospital. During that time, he endured 10 surgeries, including an open-heart surgery. Starlight Children's Foundation has played an important role in my family's life. For five weeks when he was a baby, Finn lived in a Starlight Hero wagon. You could not understand the pure joy of having him go from a hospital bed into his favorite red wagon. Starlight doesn't just give items that hospitalized kids can use to keep themselves happy, but also memories, moments, and experiences which are so needed in times like these. They allow sick kids to just be kids for a little while. The support that Starlight provides to families like mine is an integral part to creating happiness at a time when there's very little to be found. Learn more about how Starlight Children's Foundation brightens the lives of sick kids by visiting starlight.org today. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. This has nothing to do with what we've been talking about or anything that's going on in the world today, but uh, I've been talking to a guy named, uh, on, uh, I've been communicating with a guy named Tim Haggerty. I want to get him on the show. He's written a book called Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball, and uh, I'm going to have him on in the next day or two. But it reminded, he's, he's working in El Paso right now in a minor league town, and he's going to come on and hope, tell you some, to hope to tell you some really good stories. I got a real quick one. They had an, a PA announcer in El Paso. I was doing the games for the Lafayette Drillers of the Texas League, and this PA announcer would do running commentary during the game. He would say, there's Ducky Crandall, the, uh, the, the drillers' um, uh, trainer coming out. He, he hides his equipment under his shirt because he was kind of fat. And he said, and he welcomed me to the game. He said, John Stockerwald's here with K, whatever it was, station. Nice to have you here, John. Everybody, a polite applause. And then he said, John, we called your home, and a man answered. Thought you might be interested. This is who the PA announcer was at the ballpark in El Paso. So this guy wrote about him a little bit, too. We'll talk about that in the next couple of days. John Stackerwald Show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.